Bibles this morning, would you open them to Matthew chapter 6? We're going to look at verse 12 this morning. We're in a series called Becoming a People Who Pray or Becoming a Praying People. I'm going to ask a favor of you this morning. You're going to need a knife and a fork. This is a pretty chewy sermon. And I realize that, but I'm going to ask a favor that you don't let that automatically let you think that you could dismiss what you're going to hear this morning. I believe that what you're going to hear this morning must become ingrained into the very mind and the very heart of every believer. It's absolutely foundational that we master, that we understand, that we drive these truths into our hearts. And that's where freedom occurs. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote of two unmarried sisters who lived together in a large single room. They had a falling out. And ironically enough, their falling out had to do with a small bit of controversial theology. And so bitter did they become that they stopped speaking to one another. They drew a chalk line right down the middle of the room, bisecting the doorway and the fireplace so that each could come and go and do her cooking without violating the space of the other person. For years, friends, this hatred persisted, even when friends would visit. And every single night, they went to sleep hearing the breathing of their enemy. Stevenson writes that never did four walls look down on an uglier spectacle. Friends, an unforgiving spirit is one of the most common short circuits of God's grace. In fact, one could say that an ongoing unforgiving spirit is absolutely no evidence of ever having received God's grace. It's one of the biggest threats to God's community. Now, friends, listen, have you ever known anybody who just easily harbors, even for years, grudges? They're filled with resentment, bitterness, anger. Did you know that unforgiveness now has been linked to decreased blood flow to the joints, to damaging teeth, due to clenching, to high blood pressure? even to vulnerability to infections, but unforgiving people can be malignant tumors in the body of Christ. And this is why Jesus instructs us, here we, here we go, verse 12, to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to peel this away a little bit. I'm going to try to get pretty deep into this theology behind this. I'm going to invite you to chew on this and to drive this as an anchor bolt into your heart. Number one, forgiven. We are forgiven. Now, what does that mean? He says, and forgive us our debts. What's this whole concept of debts mean? Well, debts is translated from one of five Greek words for sin. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. You ready? It doesn't mean missing the mark. It doesn't mean careless disobedience. 
Debts doesn't mean going beyond the limits that God has established by his word. Debts doesn't even mean continuous, flagrant, open rebellion. It means something different. Here's what it means. It means something that someone owes, which is strictly obligated to be repaid. It means something owed, which one is strictly obligated to repay. Just as a person who is in debt financially is obligated to repay that money. Now listen, sinners are morally obligated, you're hearing me right, they're morally obligated to pay back their debts to God. You're not hearing something mistaken here. I mean that purposefully. Except that our debt to God is so great that we have no hope of paying it back. Because sin dominates, friends, you know this. It dominates the heart. It dominates the mind. It contaminates every human being. Sin is the corruption behind every crime, every lie, every theft, every murder, every bout of immorality, every sickness, every pain, every sorrow, mankind. Because the ultimate effects of sin are physical death and eternal separation from God. But there's present effects of sin. And that's misery, dissatisfaction, sickness, and guilt. I'm not telling you anything new. I think all of you know this. But you need to understand what I'm about to say. Friends, there is simply no cure for sin. Except the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's never been a cure for sin other than the blood of Christ. We cannot pay for the wrongs we have committed. Those who trust in Jesus Christ, friends, listen, they receive God's pardon. There's no currency that we possess that can pay for our sins against God. Forgiveness of sin required the shed blood of the one who had never, ever sinned, the Son of God. So here we are, we have a massive debt from sin, and we have a moral obligation to pay it back, but we have no way to do it. This is what the entire Old Testament is about. It's meant to drive us, the Sermon on the Mount, meant to drive us to spiritual bankruptcy so that we can know that in our spiritual account, we don't have anything. And it drives us to put our trust in the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. And when we do, God takes our sins, and here's a big word, you ready? And he imputes them, or he gives them over to Christ, charges it to Christ's account, and takes the righteousness of Christ, and he imputes it, gives it over to us, brings it into our account, And we become forgiven and adopted into the family of God and righteous. What's it mean to be forgiven? It means that we've come to God out of our bankrupt souls and put our trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who has taken our sins and given us his righteousness. But Jesus goes on, and we're going to unpack this. 
He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, we need to be forgiving. We are forgiven. We need to be forgiving. Now, simply stated, this is a request. Now, get ready. I'm going to shock you. This is a request that God would forgive us. I hope you're listening. In the same way that we forgive other people. Read it again. It's not complicated. As uh, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is bothersome. To anybody who sincerely thinks, it usually generates two objections. Can I tell you what they are? Number one, some people say that Christians should never have to confess their sins and ask for forgiveness. The reasoning is this, that in light of our standing in Jesus Christ, we should never have to ask for forgiveness. Why? Because they say we're justified, and that's true. How many of you use Microsoft Word? If you go into Microsoft Word and you look at the very top, some of you are Mac users, you're thinking, oh, what a miserable pastor. Up at the very top of Microsoft Word, you'll see four little icons. One is left indent, one is centered, one is right indent, and the other one is called justify. You know what that means? It means your text goes to the very edges of the margin on both sides. This is where you want to get to when you want to understand the word justification. It means that God has dealt with our sins, past, present, and future, in full, justified, in full in the person of Jesus Christ. The sins that we've committed, friends, and the sins that we're going to commit, they have been put on Christ and His righteousness has been imputed to us and God now regards us as righteousness. How do you see that scripturally? Look at Colossians. You who were dead in your trespasses and in the, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. Here it is, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listening, listen, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So, so the people that object So what I'm saying would say that a Christian, in order for a Christian to have to confess their sins, is to go back to living under the law and to doubt God's sufficient work in Christ. But listen, here's what it really means. Jesus is teaching this prayer to believers, Not to unbelievers, he's speaking to those who already have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. He's not dealing here with a person who uh, has just awakened to the fact that that he needs to have his sins forgiven. And so he comes to God and receives the gift of salvation. Here, we have the same truth that was beautifully, powerfully demonstrated by Christ the very night, the very evening before he died. Do you remember that? John chapter 13, Peter said, You, Lord, shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need a wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You see, Peter had already had his entire person washed. He was justified by faith in Christ. His sins were condemned, not no longer condemned to him. But though justified, listen friends, it's all of us. He walked like we walk through a world 
filled with sin and his feet became soiled and dirtied by sin. And though we have been justified and though we've been forgiven and we've been given right standing with God, friends, listen, we still need forgiveness for our particular sins and failures that we continue to commit. John Rice put it this way. He says, though my trespasses are already forgiven me, And not one of them can ever be charged against me to the condemnation of my soul. This is the doctrine of justification. Yet God is displeased when I sin. Now listen, this is all of us. And sin interferes with the communion of the child with his father, which is in heaven. When fresh sin comes between the happy fellowship of the father and child, then that sin needs to be removed, forgiven. Forgiveness needs to occur. You see, Christians have been justified. Friends, listen, chew on this. Christians have been justified the moment that they put their faith in Christ the Savior. All of their sins have been put on Christ. We're no longer condemned. No longer under judgment. We've been pardoned by the eternal judge. And nobody, whether you're human or whether they're Satan himself, can bring a charge against us. But don't we still sin? How'd your week go? Anybody lie? Anybody have a lustful thought? Anybody do what they know they shouldn't have done? That's a sin of commission. Anybody not do what they knew they should have done? That's a sin of omission. Has anybody been hateful and angry and bitter and resentful, jealous, stealing? We all sin every single week. So what are we to do? We're to do as Peter did and present our dirtied feet to Christ through confession. We're to do as John instructs us so that our fellowship can be restored. This is what he said. If we confess our sins... If you give your dirty feet to Christ, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to wash your feet, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, when Christians confess sins, there's always two results. One, you're forgiven from that sin. And number two, you're cleansed and your sweet fellowship with God is restored. And when, he, when we confess our sins and he forgives us, he forgives us not, not as the judge any longer. He forgives us as our father. But what's this word forgive mean? Does anybody know? I mean, don't we say that word all the time? Usually when we're upset at somebody and they've done something against us, then we tell them you need, to for, you need to ask for my forgiveness. What's forgive mean? It means to send away. It means to dismiss. It means to wipe off the record. In the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, there were two goats brought to the high priest. And the first goat that was brought to the high priest was killed, and the blood from that goat was sprinkled for the sins of the Israelites. But very interestingly, there was another goat brought. And that goat would come to the high priest, and the high priest would take his hands, and he would lay them on the head of that goat. 
And on the head of that goat, he would pray and he would confess the sins of Israel. And then that goat would be taken and not killed. It would be driven, driven away out of the camp of, of Israel, out into the wilderness to never return. Now, friends, listen, both goats were what were, what were called types of Christ. They pointed just like the bread and like the Jews point to Christ. These goats Forward pointed to the Messiah who was to come. And Jesus, who died on the cross and his sins took away, his blood took away our sins. But there's something else. He's the other goat too. And when your sins and my sin was imputed to Christ, he took them out of our camp, of our lives, never to return as far as the east is from the west down to the deepest part of the ocean where no one can retrieve and even God himself will not get. And the fellowship between child and father is restored, friends. That's the power of forgiveness. Who are the ones who can pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? Friends, they're the ones who are already having the right to say our father. It's the relationship of the child to the father. And the moment we realize that we have offended, grieved, or sinned against God, we confess, we hold our dirty feet to Christ, and we ask to be forgiven. But there's another objection. And to me, it's a more serious objection. And this objection commonly goes, and it seems like Jesus here... Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors is teaching that God's forgiveness is conditional on my actions. Pastor Tim, I thought you said there was nothing we could do to repay. I thought you said there was nothing we could do for God to forgive us. Here it seems like there is. Friends, remember Jesus is teaching believers how to pray. Men and women who have already been justified. We need to know that we, we know that we need to confess our sins. We know that we need to ask God for forgiveness and that we need to be willing to forgive others. But that little word as links, it's a conjunction. It links two major thoughts of this verse. Be, be forgiven and be forgiving. Aren't you like me if verse 12 went like this? Forgive us our debts and help us forgive our debtors. We'd be fine. But it's actually, listen, it's actually a prayer asking God, this is so frightening, to forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. It's why St. Augustine called this the terrible petition. In fact, one Jew famously wrote, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. That doesn't seem right. Charles Spurgeon, my hero, wrote, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done. And then, no, he didn't write that. He said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's prayer. C.S. Lewis, known to almost all of us, wrote this. He doesn't say, Christ, that we are to forgive other people's sins, providing they are not too frightful or provided there are extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. And if we don't, 
we shall be forgiven none of our own. That's what Lewis writes. What did James write in the Bible? For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Why is it that the only part of the Lord's prayer, I mean the only part that Jesus felt he needed to comment on further was this verse. Look at verses 14 through 15 of chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is pretty important. Friends, the proof that we have been forgiven by God is that we have a forgiving spirit. We've learned that all people are in debt because of their sins. They're morally obligated but completely unable to pay God for their sins. We saw that only the blood of Christ could forgive that debt. Forgiveness, then, is completely dependent on Christ's death. It's not dependent on our actions. Here, Jesus tells us that if we withhold forgiveness to others for what they've done to us, God's going to withhold his forgiveness to us. So how do we resolve all of this tension? Let me suggest a way to do that. Again, remember, the Lord's Prayer is for believers, those already forgiven of any damning sin, sin that can put you into eternal hell. Here is where we need to understand something of the Greek. Now, I want to suggest that you understand this. The word forgive is used twice in verse 12. Forgive us as we forgive others. Asking God to forgive us, forgiving others. The tense of the first is different than the tense of the second. Now let me read it to you, and you can look up behind me and see it unfold. It says, and forgive us our debts. Friends, in the Greek, that's a tense that means that it's a request for God to forgive us at that very moment. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we're praying, God, right now, I'm holding out my feet. They've been dirtied again. And I'm coming to you because the only thing that can take away sin and restore fellowship is the blood of Christ. Here's my feet, God, forgive me again. But as we also have forgiven our debtors is something that occurs while the speaker is making the statement. Simply this, friends, listen. Before we can pray, God, take my feet and clean them, we already have to be Willing to forgive others. It already has to be occurring. It's in the past tense. The first one is to begin upon request. The second is to have already begun before we request. Jesus, what he's saying is we must be forgiving other people their sin before we ask God to forgive us our frequent sins. Friends, to ask God... To forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins while not, while having not forgiven one who has wronged us is to invite God to withhold his mercy and his forgiveness from us. It's literally to pray forgive us in the same manner that we have forgiven others. John Rice wrote again, this daily cleansing and daily restoration of intimate sweet fellowship with the Father we cannot have unless we forgive others their sins against us. Friends, listen, please. If we will not forgive others, if we hold on to grudges, 
and we bar people from our grace and our fellowship, friends, listen, this is what Jesus is saying, then we will be barred from the sweet fellowship of our Father. The proof of our adoption as God's children is the glad willingness to give the same grace, the same mercy to others that we've received in such large quantities from our Father. Pastor Tim, I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't know if you could get clear that Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God, or in the same manner that God in Christ forgave you. You see, the Lord's prayer is a family prayer. And we see here that God intends very seriously that we love each other and that we allow nothing to separate our fellowship. In fact, it's inconceivable to the gospel that those who have the most reason to forgive and all the daily bread from God to enable them to do so would withhold forgiveness from anyone. So what happens to Christians who refuse to forgive and hold grudges? Are they forgiven by God? The answer is yes. In the sense that they are justified before God, they're going to go to heaven someday when they die. Yet, listen, friends, while an unforgiving Christian is in Christ, he or she is out of God's will. They're not going to experience the sweet and cleansing fellowship of the Lord. They're walking in the flesh. They're giving Satan a foothold in their lives. They're walking in disobedience. They're inviting divine discipline. And until we forgive others who have sinned against us, things will never, ever be right between us and God. Friends, the channel of God's grace is blocked by an unforgiving spirit. This is a bold prayer. Because we're really praying, God, forgive me as I forgive others because of what you have done for me. Not to the same degree, because everything I do is imperfect, but in the same manner. You know, Thomas Manton wrote this as I close. There's none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God has dealt with them. Amen. So what are we praying? This is a petition. It's our fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And what are we asking God when we pray this prayer? Well, what we're asking Him is, Lord, wash my feet again. I have greatly sinned against you. Lord, wash them in the same way that I am willing to wash the feet of those who sin against me. Friends, do you have an unforgiving spirit? I really want you to search your heart. Is there anyone that has wronged you and you have held on to that and when you remember it, whether it was years ago or whether it was last week and it comes to your mind, a familiar anger, rage, bitterness and resentment follow. 
It's your evidence of an unforgiving spirit. And God desperately wants your heart to be free. Because those are chains around you. And this prayer is intended to make that so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. From Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, thank you for the Lord's prayer. This is tough stuff. It's meaty, God, but we need to hear it. We need to be concentrating. We need to be meditating upon your word until the truth of it gets down below our minds to our hearts where freedom can take place. Lord, I pray that all of us, myself included, would examine our hearts and we would see, is there anyone that we hold a grudge toward? But we would examine our hearts and see, how do I do when people do things against me, whether it's cut me off in traffic, whether it's humiliate me in front of others, whether it's steal from me, whether it's to betray me, whether it's to cut me off from their friendship. How do we respond? Well, your word has made it clear that we need to forgive them. We need to wash their feet. We need to walk in a forgiving spirit just as you have forgiven us. May we learn to do that. Lord, you've given us everything we need. Your daily bread has made it possible to be able to walk faithfully in the kingdom of God for your glory. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.